Thank you. All right. Good to be back. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad I'm saved too. I, uh, a week ago Thursday on June 16th. Amen. Do I look 45? <laughs> Brother George? <laughs> 45. Thank God. Yeah. Amen. Man, I was a mess and God saved me. Amen. I thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Well... Had a nice drive over here today, and uh, thank the Lord for that, amen. Let's turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah chapter 36. Go ahead and stand if you're able to, if you want to. (coughs) Isaiah chapter 36. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now it came to pass. It always comes to pass. Amen. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, that Sennacherib, king of Assyria against all the defense cities of Judah, and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war, Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereon if a man lean it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all that trust in him. But if thou say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away, and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar. Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set right upon them. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants? and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. And am I now come up out the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. 
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear folks here tonight. We thank you for singing here tonight, Lord. We love singing that magnifies you, God. And we appreciate the good singing tonight, Lord. And thank you for Brother Prophet, Lord, and these dear people, God. And Father, we just ask you, God, to bless this preaching of the word of God. I realize I'm absolutely nothing without you. I pray you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, help me to say, Lord, exactly what you would have me to say to these dear folks here tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, if there's a lost soul in the building, that you would strengthen and encourage them. God, have your perfect will in each and every heart and life. Help those that are saved, God, all of us, that uh, will live for you, Lord, in these last days. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. And amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This here, there's a principle to be found in these boasting words of Sennacherib's messenger. Sennacherib's messenger, Rabshakeh, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, verse 4, Rabshakeh, and uh, his name is mentioned down through the text here, verse 12, but Rabshakeh said, so forth and so on. This is the messenger of Sennacherib, and There's a principle to be found in the words that he speaks in verse 8, where I want to preach from tonight, Isaiah 36, verse 8. Now therefore give pledges, he says, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, talking about Sennacherib, and I will give thee 2,000 horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Now, These are boasting words of Sennacherib's messenger. He's kind of being sarcastic, uh, like a smart aleck. And uh, he called for the surrender of Hezekiah because he could not resist the armies of Sennacherib. He then boasted that if he'd give them 2,000 horses, there'd be no soldiers to ride them. And I want to preach tonight on 2,000 horses to those who can ride. Not only to those who can ride, but those who will ride. You know what we need, folks, in America, in our churches today? We need, I believe when you got saved, I believe God wanted you to mount the horse and to ride. Amen. 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 He wants us to ride. 2,000 horses to those who can and will ride. Amen. Uh, 2,000 horses speaks of potential and power. Potential and power. But this, this uh, Rabshakeh here found out that the people of God had defenses and resources other than soldiers and horses and chariots of war because in the next chapter, 37, verse 36, the angel of the Lord slays 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. It's also talked about in 2 Kings 19.35. Where in one night, an angel of the Lord slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. I want to say, you don't want to mess with an angel of the Lord. Amen. You know that angel of the Lord that Jacob uh, wrestled with in Genesis 32? I'll tell you what, that angel of the Lord could have mopped the floor up with Jacob if he wanted to. But he touched him right on the hollow of his thigh. The strongest part of the human body right there, your thigh. 
And I'll tell you, no doubt, the Bible don't say this, I'm not trying to read something, the Bible wasn't there, but no doubt Jacob probably had a little type of a limp uh, the rest of his life, reminding him that he messed with the wrong person. Amen? Because Jacob bumfoozled about everybody he come in contact with. I mean, Jacob could sell you a clump of dirt for a hundred bucks and make you think you're getting a great deal. Uh, that's the kind of guy Jacob was. But uh, he finds out that the people of God got defenses and resources other than soldiers and horses and chariots of war. And he's got the angel of the Lord. And uh, we don't, we're not read all the verses here in chapter 36 and 37, but God ends up destroying the enemies of Israel here. And uh, to make a long story short, but I want to preach some things here. Uh, verse 8 here, instead of speaking this verse as sarcasm, I want to lift it out of its context. And it's a statement of an important and untimely truth. That potential and opportunity and power and influence is offered to men and women and young people who are qualified to make use of them. I want to say this. You can do anything that God wants you to do. Anything that God wants you to do. Now, people have different opinions about what the greatest promise in the Bible is. Personally, I think Romans 8.28 is probably the greatest promise in the Bible. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. But keep your finger there in Isaiah 36. Turn to 2 Corinthians 9 real quick, and then I'll move on with the message. But I want to show you this by way of introduction. I want to show you something here I believe is the second greatest promise in the Bible. Now, people might differ, but I believe personally this is the second greatest promise, and it goes along with what I'm preaching about tonight. 2,000 horses and to those who can ride and will ride. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Now, he just got done talking about giving in verse 6 and 7. All right? Uh, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Verse 6, he who soweth abundantly shall reap also abundantly. The only reason I say that is to read it in the context. Verse 7, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Now verse 8, and God, see it goes right on through the text, and God is able, verse 8, to make, watch this, all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's one of the greatest promises, folks, in the entire Bible. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye having, uh, always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You know what he's basically saying there? He's saying that God is able to give you uh, everything you need to do whatever He wants you to do. You say, I don't think I can do it. God says you can. You say, it doesn't look like I can do it. It doesn't look possible. I don't think I got the abilities or the talents or the whatever. That's what Moses thought. Moses, God says, go lead the children of Israel to the land of Egypt. And Moses said, get Aaron. He said, I'm slow of speech. And like God don't know whether he's slow of speech or not. And God basically tells him, I made your mouth. God made your brain. He made your heart. He made your body. He knows all about us. Amen. That potential opportunity, power, and influence are offered to people who are qualified to make use of them. 
You can do anything that God wants you to do. Every human being is intended to have a character of their own. To be what no other is and to do what no other can do. There's something you can do that I can't do. I see these people, you folks up here singing and there's people, I preach out there in well, different churches and out there in Los Angeles there and, uh, and, uh, and then we have the, uh, the Rodriguez family, David and Jill Rodriguez, they have th- 13 children and uh, they uh, have them in to sing and th- those kids, they all sing and they all play all these different instruments. They put one instrument down and they pick another one up. I'm talking about young kids and you know, teenagers and older kids and things. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I can't play no instruments. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I'm going to tell you what, there's something you can do that nobody else can do. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Folks, you'll be surprised what you can do with God's strength. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Nehemiah 8.10 For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Through the years, I'm sure your pastor and other preachers here uh, can attest to this. Through the years, there have been times like I felt sickly, you know, and stuff. Didn't want to get up and preach different meetings, different things, and, and pastoring different things. And uh, half sick and this and that. And got up and felt like a complete failure. And somebody comes up afterwards, and they weren't just saying it. You could tell they were being sincere. They said, that was one of the best messages I ever heard, preacher. Yeah. And I'm thinking, huh? Yeah. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, see, it's, it's me, it's yeah. not you. Yeah. It's him, it's not us. Yeah. I think he does it every once in a while just to show us that it's not us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 Horses to those who can ride and will ride. Talents to those who can make use of them. Power and potential to those who have proved their worth. Uh, The message to Garcia, listen to this. During a Spanish-American war... The, our government wished to send a secret message to General Garcia of Cuba. An officer by the name of Rowan, R-O-W-A-N, was chosen. He landed in Cuba and managed to make his way through the Spanish lines to General Garcia's headquarters, and he delivered the message. That's what we need. We need some folks that will deliver the message. Not be afraid. That was a blessing to hear that you went out on visitation today. Honestly. A lot of churches don't do that no more. You say, what, you mean the Catholic and the Lutheran and the Methodist churches and the Presbyterian and the uh, other churches? No. Baptist churches. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons still go out knocking on doors. Matter of fact, it's a sad thing. You wouldn't believe the number of people in the last 10 or 15 years since we've been knocking on doors there, or knocking on doors through, I've been, since I've been got saved, especially the last 10 or 15, 20 years, and we'll go up to a door and they'll say, are you a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah. Are you a Mormon? Yeah. Like they're scared to death. It's a t- sad testimony that when you go to a door, they think you're a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. Yeah. They ought to be saying, are you a Bible-believing Baptist? Yeah. But I've talked to preachers and good men, won't mention no names, but they say, I, we don't do that no more. It don't work no more. Right. Well, no, we probably, we don't get the, folks, I'm going to tell you something. You can say what you want, but we're in the gleaning stage now. Yeah. We are. Yeah. I don't care. You say, well, I heard some, I've seen some Christian periodical. The guy wins 10 million souls a year. Well, okay. 
whatever. I'm just telling you, I have a brain in my head. And I didn't get saved last week. And I want to tell you something. We're in the gleaning stage. One here. One there. One here. It ain't going to be like the 17 and 1800s, honey. I don't care what they say in the Christian periodicals, okay? I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just telling you. All right? And, what, and, and it ain't going to be like it was in the early 1900s. We're in the gleaning stage. One here. Maybe a couple, three here. One there. One here. But we're still supposed to go after souls. God didn't say, now as you get close uh, to the as coming of the Lord and the rapture, and you're in the latest sea and age, which I believe we are, uh, then you don't need to go out and tell people, knock on doors and, and visit the hospitals and nursing homes and convalescent centers and jails or whatever. You don't need to really do this as much because uh, you'll be in the gleaning stage and you won't see as much fruit and results. And no, God didn't say that. Hey folks, Esther 4.14 who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? God didn't have your pastor and myself and Brother George and these other preachers here. He didn't have us preaching in the 1700s with the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield and those guys. He didn't have us preaching in the 1800s with Spurgeon and uh, Moody and a lot of those guys. Or the early 1900s. God has us in the most wicked, perverted, ungodly, filthiest days. And I say, praise God, amen. I wanna, I'll preach, amen. You're not going to see the results they saw, though. Sorry, you just aren't. You can't, even get the, you can't even get the average Christian interested in the things of God. There's two ideas of success. One is that men and women of ability and of willing mind are on the search for a place and for work they can do. <coughs> Excuse me. The other is that places of importance are waiting for the men and women who can fill them. God's looking for a man or a woman like this Rowan guy that delivered the message, who can get the message through to Garcia. When I say get the message, I'm, talk, I'm just talking about witnessing and you know, soul winning. I'm talking about being obedient and doing something for the glory of God, folks. One, one person finds a path, the other, the other person makes a path. I preach every year in, up there in uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, a uh, line area up there, several churches through the years. And one of the churches there, the preacher and his wife took me to the... Uh, uh, downtown Providence, Rhode Island. Brown University is right down the street and uh, from this First Baptist Church. Roger Williams came over. You can search it sometime. Don't do it now. But uh, Google, uh, Roger Williams came over and he started uh, Newport, Rhode Island and uh, Providence, Rhode Island. He named it Providence because of the providence of God. Now the left wing God-hating reprobates won't tell you that. But that's how Providence, Rhode Island got its name. And Roger Williams came over. Well, uh, brother, brother Gary Piet and I, the pastor and his wife and I, we went through a tour of the First Baptist Church. And it's got the old pews in it and everything. You know, the ones you've got little doors on them and stuff. And, and I asked the lady, the lady uh, deaconess took, it through, took us through a tour. And, uh, and I asked her, I said, uh, I said, is this building ever full? See, it looked like, looked like it seated five, six hundred maybe. And uh, 
She said, well, for the commencement exercises for Brown University down the street there, they, they use this building, and it's full. I said, is that the only time? She said, yes. Well, Brother Gary and I, the pastor and I, we wanted to keep asking questions about Roger Williams because he was like a, I mean, they, they consider him a renegade. But he was a guy who didn't look for a path. He made the path. Roger Williams. And uh, she didn't want to talk about Roger Williams. Every time, every time we started asking a question about Roger Williams, she changed the subject. She wanted to talk about this pastor in the 1800s that he was there like 29 or 30 years and the church really grew under him. Well, that's fine. You know, I'd like to know about him too. But she didn't want to talk about Roger Williams because she considered him a renegade, like a rebel, you know, when he got over here and, uh, and, uh, and, and got Providence and Newport, Rhode Island, these different places and so forth, back in the 1600s. 1600s. They also took me to a place, I forget the name of it, I wish I could tell you so you could Google it tonight, later tonight, and you can see. Uh, it costs like 25, 30 bucks to go see it. It's, it what it is, it's a place, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I took literature and everything from it, but I can't remember. It's a place up there, and what it is, it's like a little town. And what, they show you what it would have been like in the 1600s. No electricity, no automobiles, I want you to think about this. No cell phones, no landline phone, no electric, no air conditioning, no email, no fax, no Skype, no nothing. And we went to this little community, and I, I told Brother Gary, I said, Brother, I said, I can't even imagine living back then. And that was just six, that was a six, that was the 1600s. Imagine back like 1000 AD. Back the time of Christ, 2,000 years ago. One man, one woman finds a path. The other man or woman makes a path. Uh, many think they would do something for God if it was all laid out for them. That's not true. If you'll not do something for God with what you have... You won't serve God if God gave you the most prestigious position. See, what God does, God watches people. He watches you. And He sees if you're going to be faithful in the little things. And then when you're faithful in the little things, He gives you a little bit more important position. A little bit more. A little bit more. Isn't that what they do in most of your companies and corporations? around America and throughout the world. They usually don't start a man or a woman at the top. They start them at the bottom, sweeping the floors or something, being a janitor or something. I don't know. And then they, they get a promotion. Then they get a promotion. Then they get another promotion. They work themselves up. They might end up being the CEO of the company 30 years down the road. Well, God does basically the same type of thing. Parable of the talents. All three received an unusual opportunity in the parable of the talents. Two succeeded while the third failed. The reason of his failure was not lack of opportunity or ability or advantage, but a lack of character. I'm not trying to be mean tonight, but that's what we have missing today in a lot of people in America. A lack of character. You can tell by the way they act, the way they talk, the way they dress in public. Amen? You just, there's, not, there's not a whole lot of character. 
when the horse of usefulness and influence has been brought to our gate, the lack of industry will disqualify a person from mounting the horse. God is so generous and free-handed in what He offers us, but we can neglect and scorn Him. And then God is unyielding. I want to say this, number one. Where opportunity is the more abundant, the temptation is the more seductive and powerful. I'm talking about now getting on the horse and riding for God. 2,000 horses to those who can ride. That's what this messenger of Sennacherib says sarcastically and arrogantly. He's basically saying Isaiah 36 verse 8, and I, in the middle of the verse, and I will give thee 2,000 horses if thou be able on thy part, in other words, you've got to do it, on thy part to set riders upon them. You don't even have the riders to put on them 2,000 horses. <laughs> That's what he's saying. We need some riders. Bethel Independent Baptist Church needs some riders. Every Bible-believing, Bible-preaching and teaching church in America needs some riders. Amen? That's what we need, folks. Where opportunity is the more abundant, the temptation is the more seductive and powerful. Now, A, some will not ride because of no reverence for the things of God. No Boy, do we live in a day and time where there's no reverence for the things of God? No respect? If you don't like that word, reverence. No respect for the things of God? I mean, think about it. Uh, Belchazer drank wine out of the sacred vessels of the temple in Daniel chapter 5. Like spitting in God's face. And Eli's sons committing fornication at the door of the temple... There in 1 Samuel chapters 3, 2, 3, and 4 and through there. And God said, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Amen. I really, I, I'm not trying to be smart like and I really, I really honestly am asking this question. You read this chapter. I really don't know what God expected Eli to do because Eli does confront him and say, well, what's this iniquity that you've been doing? Unless, he's supposed, unless God expected him to literally, he's supposed to grab his sons off the front porch of the tabernacle, committing fornication, and drag them out in the street. But that must be what God wanted. You say, God would want something? Yeah. See, people think God's just this, this little wimpy little thing. Our God's a consuming fire. Amen. Hebrews 12, 29. Yeah. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah. Hebrews 10, 31. Amen. Eli's sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Some will not ride because of worldly pleasure. The prodigal son says, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he left the house and he was gone. And uh, of course he got in a mess. But the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You know what's quenched and killed a lot of people's desire to serve God and mount the horse and get on the horse and ride for the Lord Jesus? He, he mounted a horse and rode, rode into the town there in the Gospels. A colt. I'll tell you what it is. It's the worldly, the wor- things of the world out here. 
Nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with that at all. But don't let the nice things get in the way of you serving God and keeping God first. God's the one that gives you the stuff you got. He could take any. He could take it any time he wants to take it. You say I don't believe it. Ask Job, richest man in the East. Some will not ride because of worldly pleasure. Mark 4.19 And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful implying it was fruitful at one time. That's a saved person. And Jesus says that in Mark 4.19 The cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word. Amen. And it becometh unfruitful. I've seen that happen in the last 45 years to a lot of Christians. Now, I've watched this too. Many young people are highly gifted. Many high, many, there are a lot of young people in this country that are highly gifted as far as talent and ability are concerned. Fitted and qualified to ride in the front ranks of the world's crusaders. But they fail to ride because of a lack of character and a lack of wanting to do what God wants them to do. And they use that talent and ability for the world. Nothing could be sadder than the situation of a person who has the ability and the knowledge and the desire to act or strike or speak in behalf of right and truth some holy calls of God or man, but who just when they would speak or act or strike, I don't mean strike hitting people, fighting, feels upon his arm the arresting and paralyzing touch of some sin. They want to do something for God, but they, that, that sin just paralyzes them. So what do you do? Confess it and get it right and go on for God. Go on for God. You say, I've already messed up, preacher, too bad. No, you haven't. Repent, get right, and go on for God. We're all a bunch of filthy, wicked sinners, man. One does this sin, one's done that sin, one does this sin, one's done that. We're all sin and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. Some will not ride because of conformity and popularity. They want to be popular. If you want to be popular, if that's really your heart's desire, you probably will, won't do much for God. You know what it says about Jesus? Philippians 2.7 But made himself of no reputation and took upon him, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And what happens when a man or a woman or a young person humbles himself and is obedient? God exalts you. Wherefore, Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue 
should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You realize, I thought of this the other day, I was thinking. You realize we've got the greatest of everything as far as, I'm talking about, we've got the greatest message. We have the greatest music. You know all this, all this rock and roll and even country music and all this kind of stuff. All this stuff, she left me and I drank my booze and all this stuff. These are people and the rock and roll and all that. Any music that doesn't glorify the Lord, all it is really, stop and think about it. It's these unsaved people crying out for God. Think about it. That's what it is. They don't even realize they are. They don't really understand that they are. But it's just their songs and stuff they write and they sing. And some of them are very talented people. But they're empty. They're void. Without God. Alone in the world. Without hope. We got the greatest music. The greatest. We got the greatest power in the world. God. Everything else is just kind of... Some will not ride because of conformity and popularity. I want to say this. Right is right even if everyone's against it. And wrong is wrong when everybody is for it. I don't care. I know you say, we're living in the year 2022, preacher. Come on. What was sin 100 years ago is still sin today. By the way, I never dreamed. I never dreamed. that under this administration Senate, House, and President got it all that the Supreme Court would over overrule would overturn Roe versus Wade I'll tell you what, God is something you say it's because Trump avoided uh, Trump uh, appointed three Supreme Court justices, I know, I know that's probably the reason why but still, God works. God, God isn't dead. God is still on the throne, folks. He's still on the throne. Some will not ride because of conformity and popularity. And, and, and uh, some won't ride because of riches and fame. Fame is vapor. It's like vapor. Popularity is an accident. Riches take wings. Somebody says money talks. What's it say? It says bye-bye. Amen. It takes wings. Only one thing endures, and that's character. Now, I don't know this for sure. I don't know. But some of you might know Dr. Don Green. He just recently passed away. If he would lived till this month, June, he'd been 94. Because he was born in June of 28. He preached for almost 70 years. Started preaching in 1946. Went to J. Frank Norris's school down in Fort Worth, Texas, 46 to 49. Was an assistant pastor in Florida for six years until 1955. And then took the Parker Memorial Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan, where I've preached at a few times. Uh, he preaches against everything. He preached against everything, let me tell you. I mean, if it did, he preached against everything that moved, and if it didn't move, he kicked it, and then he preached against it. I'm, I'm serious. And... Uh, Back in 83, I got a cassette, cassette tape of his, a message he preached on a Wednesday night. 
I think Brother Rick's got it. You got those. In that message, did you remember him saying, he said, I believe, this is when Dr. Percy Ray was still living. Percy Ray was a Southern Baptist. He was never married. He pastored a church, but he had a big Southern Baptist camp meeting down there in Myrtle, Mississippi. I believe it was called Camp Zion. I think it was called Camp Zion. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Don Green said this. He said, in 1983, April of 83, that message, that cassette tape, because it's labeled on there, April of 83. He said, say what you want, but he said, I believe that Dr. Percy Ray is the most spiritual man in America. Now, I went down to his camp meeting, Percy Ray's, me and a couple other preachers back in 1980, 81, something like that. <coughs> and place was packed. And them Southern Baptist preachers got up there and preached the bark off a tree, man. Yeah. This, I'm talking 42, 41, 42 years ago. By Ronnie Simpson and Laverne Butler out of Louisville and uh, who else? Some of the guys, man. They flat preached. But Dr. Don Green said that Percy Ray, say what you want, he said, but he is probably the most spiritual. He said, if that man ain't going to pray for me, I don't want him praying against me. He said, that man's got power with God. You said, what'd you say that for? I said all that to say this. I don't know if this is true. But Percy Ray said, you know where Percy Ray is, lived and where his church was and his camp meeting? In Mississippi. Do you remember a famous person from, who's from Mississippi? Wasn't Elvis? Wasn't he from down there somewhere? I don't know if this is true, but Dr. Percy Ray said that at one time, Elvis Presley was being dealt with by God to preach. You say, oh, come on, Kogel, come on, come on, man. Let me tell you something. I don't know. I can't see their heart. The only person I know for sure is saved is me. All right? I believe my wife is, but, and my kids, and but I, I, the only person I know for sure is me. So let me tell you this. You're going to be surprised at who you see in heaven. A lot of these, I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying some of them. A lot of these country and western people, a lot of these, maybe not so many rock and roll people, but some of your country and western people, they were raised down south. And they got into a Baptist church somewhere when they were 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 years old. And got into a revival somewhere, and or vacation Bible school or something, and they repented and received Jesus into their heart. Pretty simple to get saved. Paul talked about the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. It's following the Lord fifty or sixty years after you get saved, <laughs> huh? That, that's the hard part sometimes. Percy Ray said at one time God was dealing with Elvis. He died at 42. That's a pretty premature death, isn't it? You say he was on drugs. His life was a mess. I know. Maybe God took him home. I don't know. I hope he was saved. I hope he was saved. I don't know. But what I'm saying is some will not ride because of riches and fame. He might have got saved as a boy. I don't know, 8, 10, 11-year-old boy. Then he got the teenage boy, and they found out he could dance and sing and do the boogie-woogie and all that junk. And he just went from there, man, to... Once you get into that Hollywood, Los Angeles, New York City, 
system of corruption and fame and money and all that, uh, all that stuff out there, it's kind of hard to get out. Snare. Some will not mount the horse and ride for Jesus because of riches and fame. Some will not ride because of lack of courage. But I would rather try and fail than never to try at all. David said, I'll go up against that Goliath. David wasn't trying to show off. David wasn't saying, I'm going to show everybody how big and bad I am. David was saying... He is defying the armies of the living God. The reason why David got offended was the fact that he was basically making fun of the God of Israel. And David said, I'm not going to have this. Nobody else stood up but this young boy, David. He's all going down there. And he went against him and he defeated him. Daniel said, I'm going to continue to pray as I've always done. And they threw him into the... Uh, threw him there uh, into the lion's den. But God was with him. The three Hebrew children said, we're not falling down and worshiping that golden image. We're talking about people that's got some courage, amen. I'm amazed at seeing the unsaved people, some of the courage they have to do some of the stupid things they do. And God's people are scared to even pass out a track. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid they might get offended or... They might yell at me and cuss me out. So what? You haven't you ever been cussed out? And people are colder today than they used to be. When I got saved back in the 70s, it was nothing. Go out knocking on doors and win one or two or three people out of visitation night. It was nothing. And they'd come to church. They'd actually come to church. Believe it or not. Or they'd say, come on in. Where, what church from? And sit down, maybe talk for a few minutes. Or if they were busy, they'd say, well, we're real busy right now, but could you come back like next Thursday night or whatever, Saturday or whatever? Sure. But today, the love of many shall wax cold, Jesus said. You're, you're lucky if you even get a, a holy grunt out of somebody. But you know what I found out? Let me take you this real quick. About this witnessing and knocking on doors. God showed me something years ago because I got so frustrated. It's like the Holy Spirit said, Steve, listen. When you go out knocking on doors, number one, you cannot make people be home. Can you make them be home? You have no control over that. Number two, you cannot make them answer the door if they are home. Because a lot of them look through the curtains and see you and they won't answer it. Number three, if they are home and they do answer the door, they come to the door, you can't make them listen to you. And fourthly, you can't make them get saved. You can't make them do anything. All you are is a conduit. You're just an instrument in God's hands, a vessel in God's hand to deliver a message to them. You say, well, if they're not home, I feel like I failed. Leave them a gospel track with the church name on it and the phone number and the pastor's name. That's what we do. We go out knocking on doors. We leave church flyers and literature. We leave a gospel track, how to get saved, and we put it in the door. You say, yeah, but we don't hardly ever see that much fruit from it. 
keep on doing it anyways. You say, how long do I do it? Until you're dead, until you're raptured, or until you're physically, uh, where you can't do it no more. That's it. Until you're dead, or until you're raptured. After you're dead, you can't do it. Or you're raptured, or you're physically incapacitated to where you can't do it no more. You say, we don't see the results we did 40, 50 years ago. I know. I agree 100%. But God didn't say, if you don't see the results, stop doing it. If you don't think you're seeing the results that you used to see, then don't quit doing it. You can quit doing it. People are still lost. I told you this before, I think, when I was last here, here last time. But I read something by Spurgeon last year. I'm going to tell you what, folks, I can't get it out of my head. I, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to sound. But he was preaching about hell, and he said this. He said, the hell of hell is that it's forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You and I can't even grasp right. eternity right. because we're finite beings. We deal in time. He's infinite. Everybody that dies and goes to hell, your loved ones that are not saved, I don't care how sweet they are. Rusty nails might melt in their mouth. They're so sweet. But if they're not born again, I'm not talking about baptized. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about being good and giving to the cancer society and the leukemia society. All that stuff's good. But that don't get you to heaven. You've got to be born again. Truly born again. They'll die and they'll burn in hell forever. I preached a message in my church here a while back. From Luke 16, the man in hell. The rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Doesn't say he went to the grave. His body went to the grave, but his soul didn't. And I preached a message. Some wishes. You know, people say, all right, Susie, Johnny. It's your birthday. Here's a birthday cake. Now there's candles on it. We're going to blow out the candles. Now make a wish. Uh, I wish. Okay, I got a wish. All right, blow them out. I preached a message. Some wishes five seconds after you die. I didn't just preach to unsaved people. I preached to the Christians. Five seconds. You say, you mean at the judgment seat, don't you? No, that's way down the road. I'm talking about five seconds after you die and you go straight to be with Jesus, you're going to say, let me, first of all, let me show you five seconds. Ready? One, two, three, four, five. Why didn't I do this more? Why? And then you can get a 20-point outline. Why didn't I do this more? Why didn't I have more faithful in this? Why didn't I do this? First of all, why didn't I get saved to the unsaved? Five seconds after you die. By way of introduction, I use the verses that have the word wish in them. Beloved, I wish above all things I may as prosper. Be in health. Paul used the wish over in Corinthians. About six or seven of them. Make a wish, honey. Okay, I made a wish. Blow the candles out. <sighs> I wish I'd have been more faithful to church. 
I wish I'd have given more to the Lord's work, supported the church more. I wish I'd have witnessed more and prayed more. I wish I'd have been more consecrated to the unsaved. I wish they got saved. They definitely wish they got saved. It won't even take five seconds. Some will not ride and mount the horse and ride because of a lack of courage. They excuse themselves because of their background, their education, their looks. But folks, we need to quit having a pity party, take courage, and do something for God. The years are racing past. A couple months ago when I turned 65, I got up in front of the church. I said, I'm 65 and I'm still alive. That ain't no jive. Now give me five. Some of them looked at me like some of you are looking at me like, is he playing with a full deck? Kids thought it was funny, but amen. Moses said, I'm slow of speech. Some will not ride because of laziness. Jack Wood said, I heard him say this at least 10, 12 times. Brother Jack Wood in Houston, Texas, he said, laziness, when a man's lazy, he said it reeks through his entire character and his body. He'll be lazy about spiritual things. He'll be lazy about his job. He'll be lazy about doing this. He'll be lazy about doing that. It just reeks through his entire, his entire character. Proverbs talks a lot about that. Some will not ride because of laziness. The child who cannot be trained to clean his room will not clean up his life, society, or the world. Those who wait for others to do it for them will never mount the horse. 2,000 horses to those who can and will ride. Well, I want to keep riding the horse. I want to ride the horse till I die. I've never rode a horse. I love horses. They're spooky to me for some reason. I don't, when I get close to one, those eyes, their eye, they're beautiful. But their eyes, and they look at you, and it just looks like they're getting ready to kick you. So I stand about 8, 10 feet away. But I think they're beautiful. But I read my Bible in Revelation 19. I'm going to come back riding on a white horse. Woo! Giddy up, giddy up. Some will not ride because of no desire. You can do and be anything that God wants you to be. You can do anything and be anything that God wants you to be. Notice I didn't say you can be anything you want to be. That God wants you to do and God wants you to be. Some will not ride because they listen to human advice instead of God's counsel. Now, some human advice is good a lot of times, but sometimes people say things to discourage. You've got to be careful. No one can ride your horse but you. Number two, who can ride? Everything's built on difficulty and struggle. 2,000 horses to ride. Calvary wasn't easy for Jesus. Jesus faced opposition, hatred, difficulty, struggle, pain, loneliness, and death. But he rode that horse. Amen. You say, what do you mean he rode a horse? He died on Calvary. Amen. 
Shed his blood. Was beaten beyond recognition. There are no cheap, easy miracles. I know Benny Hinn and all these fakers and liars try to tell you all this junk. God uses your struggles to give you a thorough house cleaning. Reorganize your priorities and make you dependent on His grace. See folks, when there is a fight within a person, the person's worth something. There's a fight within you. You say, what do you mean a fight? A struggle. Two natures warring against each other. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to the devil. You say, I don't want to get that close to God then. The devil's going to be that close to me. That ought to be your desire. Is love the Lord. You know in the Gospels he said two or three times, love the Lord with all, Lord thy God with all thy heart, strength, mind, body, everything you got. You say, we can't be perfect. He didn't say be perfect. He said, love the Lord with all your strength, your mind, your body, everything you got. So how can a person do that? I don't believe that God would have, Jesus would have said that if it was impossible for us to do. Why would he say to do that if he knows we can't do it? How many people you know that love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul, mind, body? You say, that's impossible. No, it's not. Jesus said it's possible to do that. Those who have no inward fight will never mount the horse. If you haven't been saved very long in here, I'll tell you what. As soon as I got saved, the devil said, you didn't get saved. This is just a little religious experience you're going through. You're 20 years old and you, you, don't, even, you don't even know what's going on yet. Everybody goes through this. I mean, he, told all, he said all this junk in my head. You know why he tells you them bunch of lies? I said, devil... The guy at Limited Lord, he said, when the devil starts telling you that, say to the devil, how come you never told me this stuff before? He never told me this stuff before because I wasn't saved. But as soon as you get saved, there's an inward conflict. Having a baby. I've never had a baby. My wife had five of her children. Having a baby is a struggle. Sickness, pain, but the baby's worth it all. they get about 16. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. Just kidding. We love all of our kids. 13 to 20, they know everything. You know that? Amen? Just like I was, I thought I knew everything. Everything is built on difficulty. There's always something to overcome. I'm almost done here. And this is true in the spiritual world. If the world, the flesh, and the devil have knocked you out once, get up and Face it again and again and again until you've done, got, not rid of them, until you got the victory. Amen. Get back up. You say, I got knocked out, man. I ain't no use now. No, get back up. You say, I can't do anything now. I failed so miserably and this happened in my life and that happened in my life. No, God can still use you. That's how character is made in the spiritual realm as well as in the natural. 
Paul said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Amen. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, right. that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 10. Character is built in this order. A thought, an act, a habit, a character, and a horse to ride. Listen to this. It is less exhausting to become what you want to be than to try to be what you don't want to be. It's less exhausting to become what you want to be than to try to be what you don't want to be. And you can never be. A lot of people want to be something they're never, God don't want them to be. You say, yeah, but I just adore so-and-so and brother or sister so-and-so and the talent and the ability that this guy has preaching or teaching or this person has singing or this person can do this and this person can do that. Yeah, but there's something you can do. You cannot dream yourself into a character. You must hammer and forge yourself one. Character is distilled out of your daily confrontation with temptation, out of our regular responses to the call of duty. Distilled water is made pure by a heat process where it is boiled and then cooled, leaving the impurities behind. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time, but I just want to give you the verse. So there's, you don't need to turn to it, but in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 11 and through there, I think it's verse 7, 8, 9 and through there. Paul says that we were pressed out of measure. In so much that we despaired even of our own life, he said. He yeah. thought he was going to die. Yeah. You'll read about that in 2 Corinthians 1. Yeah. I want to hurry up and get done here. So I don't want to turn to the verses. But it's in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and through there. He says, we, we were pressed out of measure. Yeah. I don't know if I went over this before here. But let me just say something and I'll be done. He goes, my wife, back years ago, they got, they got these shirts now. That, you know, they got these white shirts. I, I usually wear white shirts, but. The shirts I wear, she, uh, she used to iron them. You know, now they got these wrinkle-free shirts. But years ago, back in the, 70, back in the 80s there, she, I, she, I'd say, could you, could you press one of my shirts? Isn't that what the word they use? Press it, iron it, press it. Well, press shirts. She'd get the ironing board out. Paul said he was pressed out of measure. Even so much we despaired even of life, even of death. My wife would get an iron and she'd get water in it and that water would be scalding hot. It wasn't just hot, warm. It was scalding hot. And she'd get the ironing board out and she'd get that shirt and she'd... And you see that you see the vapor, the, like smoke, not smoke, but vapor come out of there because there's so much combustion or hot, it's hot and the water, and it's so hot and boiling. She pressed my shirt. You say, what are you saying? She got the wrinkles out. Amen. Sometimes God allows us to go through certain things and you are pressed like that shirt's being pressed with hot scalding water and sometimes it feels like when we go through trials and tribulations, does it not? It feels like God's got the ironing board out on us. And it's like, God, what are you doing? I, I don't want to go through this. 
And it's like he's got a scalding hot iron. Now, he don't do it to hurt us or to burn us or anything like that. He knows how much we can take. But he does it to get those wrinkles out of our life, our character. Things in our life that it's not pleasing to him. A little arrogance, a little cockiness, a little this, a little whatever it might be. So you can be Christ-like. I said, I asked my wife, will you press some of my shirts? Sure. And may she get done pressing them, there wouldn't be a wrinkle in them. And when God gets done with you and I, that talk about the church in Ephesians 5, 26, 27, not having spot or wrinkle. Woo! We ought to shout and run the aisles. Swing on the chandeliers. You ever felt like you're being pressed beyond measure? Like, God, no, this is too much. This is too, I can't take this. This is more than I can take, God. He, he knows just how much. Don't you, Brother Eddie? Yeah. Let me excuse real quick. Uh, character is the sum total of all the little decisions, the small deeds, the daily reactions to the choices that confront us. German chocolate shake, cake, German chocolate cake is a blend of many ingredients, stirred, mixed, and placed in a hot oven, but the result is worth a difficulty. Character is not obtained instantly. We have to mold and hammer and forge ourselves into character. It's a distant goal to which there is no shortcut. Piano is a wonderful, wonderful instrument, or any instrument, but it takes hours to build. It takes hours to make a good piano player. I noticed through the years, as soon as I got saved, I started memorizing scripture. But I've noticed as I've gotten older, if I don't use that scripture, I lose it. Amen. If you don't use it, you lose it. Amen. With any ability of playing the piano, playing harp or flute or whatever instrument it could be, uh, or quoting scripture, I notice that I get a little rusty. I might miss a few words on the verse or something. You got to keep using it. You got to keep yeah. using that. You got to keep sharpening it. Keep sharpening it. Takes hours. It takes hours to make a good uh, piano player or organ player or whatever. In closing, you want the power of God in your life. I didn't really have a bunch of points and real outline in this message. It's just kind of. Do you want to use your God-given talent for Him? You want to influence someone for God. Well, as I close, Isaiah 36, 8. He said, I'll give thee 10 or 2,000 horses. Sarcastically saying it. If thou be able on thy part. In other words, I don't think you can on your part. I don't think you got to set riders upon them. I don't think you got 2,000 riders on your part to put on them. He's speaking for Sennacherib. Against Hezekiah. I don't have time to go through and develop the whole chapter. But as I close, I want to say this. If thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them, would you be willing to say, God, whatever it takes to make me able, I want to ride, I want to be used of God. And if you are riding, say, God, I want to ride until I, you come back and get us. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand if you would. Preacher, come ahead, however you want to. That's pretty good on Saturday night.